think I'll start it. I'm just going to mute you guys. Um, and we'll get started. Um, thanks so much, Ian, for, for joining me today. Uh, third um, in the uh, webinar series regarding talent ID and development individual player. Uh, delighted that you've got your salary to come on. Um, and also the good weather you're having over in Scotland, which is not is unheard of normally. <laughs> so um, yeah. we've kept in touch a little bit the last few weeks, uh, just yep. checking on HR, making sure things were fine. But uh, nice to have you on today. And we'll uh, we'll get right into it regarding um, uh, the program. Basically, um, I'll ask you maybe just introduce yourself to people who don't know you, Ian, and also a bit about the Rangers International Academy. Perfect. No, firstly, Ian, thanks very much. Absolutely delighted to obviously speak to you and speak to the rest of the guys. So please, I say it every time that, that I ever get this opportunity, you know, ask as many questions as you want. I'll try and answer them as, as openly and honestly um, as I possibly can. So as Ian said, uh, my name's Ian Greer, spelt, spelt slightly differently. Uh, I've got two eyes in my name. It's, uh, it's actually Gaelic for John. So named after my my mum's dad and my grandfather on my mum's side and so that's why i'm ian so guys i'm my name's ian Greer. obviously i work at rangers football club and uh my current remit at the football club um is almost uh split in two so my full-time job is looking after the the international program um, and then i also work within our academy as well so just on the left hand side here you can see a little a little map just displaying all the different countries and all the areas and um, that we're in couple of the events that we've ran. So the first picture just underneath the map is back in uh, December of last year. We were in uh, Mexico running a camp over there. And then the picture below that is actually with MLS Club Real Salt Lake. Uh, so we've got a really good and really positive connection over there with, with them. And, and we recently went over last summer and delivered a two-week um, residential camp just in partnership with, with their academy, which was, which was really, really good. Picture in the middle is actually myself uh, doing a presentation over in Taiwan. So Last August, I, I travelled over to Taiwan. It was my first time in an Asian country, and doing everything through a translator was particularly interesting. So, considering I've got quite a broad Scottish accent, I, I felt sorry for the translator for the <laughs> two weeks I was there, trying to keep up with the, the speed and, and everything that I was saying. Um, so, that's my day job. That's what I do. Um, I would say nine to five, but you know what football's like. Soccer's like it's not not a nine to five job. So, I look after the international program, and that's obviously how we've got we've got the partnership with Ian. And then I also work within the academy. So Ian asked me to touch a little bit on, on my coaching journey. And, and I find it tough sometimes as, as a 23-year-old to talk about my coaching journey because I don't really think I've, I've started it all that much. But I think personally for, for me, I, I always wanted to be involved in football. Um, I was a supporter of the club growing up. I used to go to the games every weekend with my mum and I always had that connection to football. I was never good enough to play um professionally um which, which was unfortunate which is every every kid's dream but i think as soon as i, I fell away from and i knew that i never had that opportunity to play professionally i just i still wanted to be involved in football i think that was the most important thing for me that no matter what i did and later in life i wanted football still to be to be a part of my job so when i was about 15 uh 14 15 i started volunteering at my old primary school on a saturday morning just doing some coaching uh, our janitor in the school used to do a little uh, called it Kickaboot, so it was basically three one-hour sessions for primary one, two and three, which is five, six and seven-year-olds, before they would then go and form uh, a team uh, at eight years old. So that gave me my first sort of um, connection and my first opportunity to, to be on the pitch and be with players. And from that moment onwards, I just loved it. I, I wanted it to be my career. I wanted it to be something that I'd done. So when I was about 16, 17, um, I still had the connection um, at Rangers. So I spoke to some of my old coaches and I said, look, can I come in? Can I volunteer? Can I just learn learn from you guys? 
done that for about 18 months. And then when I was 18, I got brought on as a, as a part-time community coach. So that was delivering all our community programs, everything from our, our baby and broxy bear sessions, which are sessions with kids that are 18 months old, which is just getting them in, rolling around the floor, you know, just having great fun with them right up to our elite centre, which, which feeds our academy. So I worked in that. And then about a year into to, to that role, I was asked to go into the girls' academy. So I spent three seasons in our girls' academy. I had the under 15 for a season, and then I took the under 17 for two seasons. Um, and then after that, I was asked to come into to the boys' academy. So I made that transition from um, female game into the male game, which was which was an interesting transition. Uh, shall we say it's probably a conversation for another day? Uh, but yeah, made that transition over to, to the boys' academy, um, and I've always worked within the children's academy. So currently, just now, um, I take our under nines, and the two pictures that you can see there. The one on the top is us at Finch Farm, and that's Everton's training ground. And then the picture below is my squad from last season, actually, in fact, uh, down at the Etihad campus down at Manchester City. So I think probably from just to touch on that a little bit before we move on, Ian, and, and I stop rambling about me. Um, <laughs> what we are quite fortunate here is that, you know, the, the, the pool of players that we have within Scotland, um, you often find that Rangers and Celtic will pick up the best players in the country. So we need to look elsewhere. We need to go out with Scotland, really, to, to challenge our players at every single level. Um, and we've got a great opportunity. So our kids at under eights and under nines are travelling down into England to play Manchester City, Man United, Southampton's, Everton's, all the top clubs and the top you know academies down there, which is which is absolutely fantastic. So that's me, uh, and that that's my sort of journey in, in, in football so far. I think it's actually a good, uh, good, uh, good kids to hear that, Ian, because we have some of our coaches being on as well. The sim- similar journey in the sense that they decided at an earlier age that um, they couldn't uh, make a highest level playing football, yep. but they could as a coach. And uh, one comes to mind is John Hunter Barrett at, at, at uh, Wolves. He decided 16. But he played against uh, Daniel Sturridge one day, and that was, yep. that, was that was it for him. <laughs> but he, he started he started himself very very young, very early, regarding getting his coaches' badges and went through that. And now he's actually obviously. Um, Academy manager at Wolves, so that's a good story as well for our young players to also know that so they can you know, keep playing uh, definitely, but also have other alternatives in terms of being involved with football on a full-time basis. Um, right. Uh, let's have, maybe touch upon you know a little bit about the um, International Academy for Rangers. Yeah. What the objectives are what the vision is. Yeah. So pop over on this slide here. There we go. So, um, yeah. So, so the international program that's that's obviously what I do for my day job and, and, and I do full time um, at the club just now. So when I first came in as, as a community coach at 18, the, the international programme in the club was, was quite small. Um, I'm not sure if many of you knew, but back in 2012, the club obviously went into administration. We brought to the third division, so the, the bottom tier within, within Scottish football. And effectively, the club went from, from that to that overnight. Um, it completely changed in size. You know, we, we had six, seven players, I think, turned up to training um, when, when the new season started. So it was, it was a real tough, tough time for the football club. So over the last three or four years, we've seen a massive growth in, in the international programme. And this map just sort of shows you the, the level of outreach that we've actually got. So you might recognise a couple of the badges that, that are on this map just now. So the first one to obviously talk about is probably closer to, to home for you guys is, is Orange County Soccer Club. So they're a USL team based out of Orange County in, in California, and they're one of our two official partner clubs. We also have Bengaluru, uh, sorry, Bengaluru FC, 
the, the Indian champions. And those two partnerships are, are really a complete top-to-toe full integration with the football club. So they get access to our, um, our academy, they get access to our commercial marketing department, our communications, our media. They're, they're tapped into everything in the football club. And it's almost a, a sharing of knowledge, you know. So how can each club see mutual benefit from it? Um, there's also things like there's opportunities for loan players uh, to go out as well. So we've actually got a couple of loan players who are out at Orange County just now, but we'll talk about them later because one's actually a case study which Ian's quite keen to, to discuss. Um, so they're, they're two of our, our major sort of partnerships that we've got uh, within the international programme. But all the other clubs that you can see um, that are on there, obviously Ian's got his, got his name up there as well. And, um, and for us, what we want to try and do is we want to try and take um, what we do at the football club and what we do within our academy and just take it across the world, share knowledge, give people that opportunity to, to experience a European academy, to experience what it's like in European football, to almost give them a look at the top of the tree. You know, it might give kids, young players, that that's, you know, bit of motivation to see they want to go and try and get a scholarship, they want to go into professional football. So for us, the international programme, it's really about growth, it's really about partnerships. And, and relationships that we can have with clubs and organisations across the world really just to share what we do at the football club. I think we're really proud of the tradition and the history that we've got at Rangers and, and we really just want to showcase that. I think that's that's the biggest thing for us. So a couple of other things to note just on the uh, on the map that you can see just now. We actually recently, um, well, we do actually have a full-time member of staff based in Shanghai. Uh, unfortunately, due to the, the pandemic, he actually had to come home. But that's again something that we're looking to try and um, expand as well. Is that can we have you know members of staff permanently based in certain places across the world? And again, it's really just to help develop and grow the clubs that are over there, and, and as I said, sort of share that that knowledge that we've got. So within the international program, the the four main areas are our camps. So camps where we would travel across, we would deliver anything from a one week to a two week camp. Um, at all levels of the game, recreational right up to, to professional clubs, as you saw in one of the previous pictures with, with Real Salt Lake. We host team tours, um, so you see there that last year we had 40 inbound tours, so that's where teams um, will come to Scotland and they'll experience what it's like to be an academy player. We'll have them in at our training ground where our first team in our academy are based. We'll have them playing matches against local opposition and academy opposition. Um, we also have them meeting first team players. We've had groups meeting the manager, Stephen Gerrard, which is always a bonus. Um, we've got groups when the teams come over on tour. We have them playing on the pitch at half time in front of 50,000 fans. So that is just to give them a real good experience and really let them see what, what European football is all about. We also host residential events, um, which we've actually had a, a few, uh, a few of these players come over recently and participate in that. And that's for, for individual players. So we actually bring them over. And they train like a professional for a week, a fully residential program. It's based at one of Sports Scotland's um, national sporting uh, facilities, which is about 40 minutes from Glasgow. And that program is designed for the kids to, to effectively mirror exactly what we would do in almost like a pre-season or, or an off-season camp. And then the last area is, is something that, that I'm um, working on just now and I'm driving just now for the football club is our online academy. And so we thought that for example, when, when we're working with yourself, Ian, you know, we want to have that, that relationship that lasts 365 days of the year. It can't just be that we're over for a couple of weeks because you can't make a player better in a week. Um, so with the online academy, it's effectively tapping into everything that our academy does from on the pitch to off the pitch, the sports science, the sports psychology, the team management, the nutrition, 
um, absolutely everything that our academy delivers to our players will be on this online academy. So we're really excited. We're, we're looking to launch that um, some point next month, uh, the date of which has not yet been confirmed, but I'm quite excited about it. Uh, it's been a lot of work. Uh, it's been a project that's probably been ongoing for just over a year now, but we wanted to make sure that when it did go, um, when it did go live, that, that we've done it properly. And, and the clubs and, and the individual coaches that obviously signed up to be a part of the online academy saw some real um, mutual benefit on it. Very good point, Ian, because I've obviously been dealing with clubs internationally for about, about 15 years now, and that's one of the things that we, we try to aspire to, the fact that um, as fine as players want to cross, which is great, it's good to have you guys over here, but it has to be consistent, obviously, development through the, through the entire year. Otherwise, the players kind of get, get behind a little bit. So our big thing is trying to tap into European uh, development systems because they're obviously more advanced than they are currently in North America. So that's a big, big plus for us in terms of um, moving forward with that. Great. Good stuff. Um, also, I should top, touch upon a little bit, Ian, just how, how big the Rangers is across the world. I mean, it's hard for some our younger players because you used to watch EPL a lot, but Glasgow Rangers, I, I grew up supporting the club myself uh, back in Belfast, and it's a massive club in terms of uh, worldwide appeal, isn't it? Yeah, so right now I think we've got, uh, well, you can see there, we've got over 500 global supporters clubs. Um, you know, some of the... the, the Unbelievable places. I, I can't even begin to tell you where some of the some of these supporters clubs find themselves. And I think I've experienced it firsthand with the international travel. I don't think you can go anywhere in the world without finding a Rangers supporter. And um, I think the last was the last kind of time that we looked at it. I think we had just over two million international registered fans, so fans out with with, with Scotland and the UK. You know, we are the world's most successful football club. And um, we've currently won 54 league titles. We've won 117 trophies. We hold so many records at the football club on an international scale. You know, we were the first club ever to win over 100 trophies. Uh, we're the only, we were the first and only club in the world to have a six-figure attendance at every single game. So we've had over 100,000 fans at a friendly match, a cup match, a league match, an international or, or uh, European competition match. So the the outreach that the that the club has is, is absolutely massive. You know, you see every year we have Orsa. Um, down in, in Australia or New Zealand for our fans down that side of the world. And then we've also got NASA as well for our North American supporters. And, you know, I think last year, the year before, it was in, um, it was in Las Vegas and you get thousands and thousands of Rangers supporters. And um, that go to that is it, absolutely massive. And I think for us, our global fans are really, really important. Our managing director um, and other board members and other senior members of staff will always travel to these events in Orsa and, and in NASA. Um, and yeah, you're right. The, the club is absolutely huge, absolutely massive. A few years ago, um, a couple of my colleagues went to the United Soccer Coaches Convention, and it was the first time we'd been there in a few years, just given, unfortunately, what the club what the club had been through. And so many football fans and people involved in football were coming up to to both Gary's and saying, "It's great to have you back. It's great to have you here because you know they, they recognise the badge, they see the club, they know the club. So yeah, the international." scale and outreach of the football club is, is absolutely massive. In terms of the number of shirt sales as well, it's quite up there with Liverpool and Man United. It's really you know, up there in terms yeah. of the number of sales in it worldwide. Huge. Yeah, it's absolutely cool. huge. Great stuff, Ian. Um, okay, maybe touch upon a little bit, if you can. Um, uh, typical journey of a player at the rival range. What is they arrive at? What's a typical pathway for a young player to last the football club? So, this is probably the easiest way to sort of um, describe it to you guys. So this is our academy structure. Um, so obviously a tiered structure. You know, we, we bring in um, a lot of players at the younger age groups and then they filter their, their way up. So our academy is split into three phases. 
the Children's Academy phase, which is for players age 7 to 11, our Intermediate Academy phase, which is, which is 12 to 15, and our Senior Academy, which is 15 to 17. After that, they'll then go into the development squad and um, the first team. The development squad, it says that it's up there for 17 to 20. Probably the main reason for that is just in terms of the age groups that, that the governing body has it. We currently used to run um, an under-20 squad that then got changed to the development team that's potentially maybe going to go back to reserve football, but players can really step into that um, development squad if they're good enough from, from about 15 years old. Um, typical journey probably for, for a Rangers player. I don't really think there is a, a typical journey. Um, players can come into our academy really at, at, at any age. So to probably start off down at the Children's Academy, we have uh, development centres. So all across the, the country, predominantly the central belt of, of Scotland, um, but we're looking to try and um, move that certainly further north and, and further south as well, closer to the border. But we hold development centres, so our scouting network will go out and find players that are involved in the grassroots system, the, the recreational system. We'll bring them to these development centres and it allows them that first look at the football club. So that's an opportunity an opportunity for us to assess the players. And then from there, they would then move into what we call our initiative groups. So in Scotland, we can't actually sign a player officially to Rangers um, until they're under 11, until they're 10 years old. So they're under 8, they're under 9 and under 10. They're not officially signed players to the football club. Um, they are involved in what we call our initiative group squad, but they still play with their own boys club. You know, they still play with their own um, their own grassroots team. So the players can come in to our development centres as young as seven years old, um, and then we would start to form a team from there. So under eight, U8 is, is our youngest team that, that we have within the academy. So U8, 9s and 10s um, is, is what we probably call our pre-academy, and then our under 11s and under 12s is when they officially become a signed player to the football club. So from there, they would progress from the Children's Academy into the Intermediate Academy. Uh, and the Intermediate Academy, that's when they would start to experience um, day release. They would start to experience our um, the player programme, which is where we have some players that actually study in a local school and they have football and ed- you know, football incorporated into their education. That's something that, that, that we'll touch on a little bit later. From there, they go into our senior academy, and that is where they'll sign their first, um, if you will, full-time professional contract. So they'll leave school. They'll still have an educational element in there. They'll still have maybe one or two days that, that they attend school or they attend college in order to gain qualifications, but they're effectively a, a full-time athlete, a full-time footballer at that point in time. And then from there, we want to try and um, push them into the development squad. But as I said, we, we have a scouting network that, that is that is global. Uh, it's not just within Scotland and the UK, you know. So we we've brought players from all across Europe, from all across the world to the football club. Um, it's something again we'll, we'll touch on a little bit later in terms of the age groups that we can move international players. But I think it's really important for for young players to know that, and certainly from my experience, that you know I think there's a, a preconception that oh I'm not good enough at eight, nine, or ten for a professional academy, then I'm never going to make it. You know, we we've brought players into our academy at 14, 15 that have never been involved in a professional academy. But we've brought them in because because they're good enough. You know, so I don't think that, that dream can ever can ever die really for, for a player. But in terms of in terms of uh, you know a pathway for the player, it's very different for each and every individual player. The best example I could probably give you would be would be Ross McCrory. Um, so Ross McCrory is a, a young player that we've actually got at the football club just now. He's currently out on loan uh, to Portsmouth, club down in England. But he actually came through our soccer school programme 
uh, came through our, our elite centre. He moved into the academy uh, when he was eight years old and he's progressed all the way through the academy and into the first team. Uh, he's played over 40 games for our first team, for our, our men's uh, senior squad. And I think eight or nine of those games have actually came in, in European competitions, so in the, in the Europa League. So we're really proud of him because he's a player that's, that's came all the way through the academy, um, which, is, which is fantastic for us within the soccer schools department, but also within the academy as well. There's somebody that's come all the way through that, that pathway. So, yeah, that, that is our, our, you know, our pathway for, for players. But as I said, they can come in really um, at any age when they start to get to 15 or 16. That's when we start to look um, internationally for players. We start to look out with um, Scotland and the UK to try and bring in players. So the further they go up the academy, the competition becomes um, a lot more, a lot more intense. But that there just shows you the sort of structure that we have at the football club. And at the end of the day, for us, we want to try and push as many players into Stephen Gerrard's first team as we possibly can. You know, every year over the last maybe eight, nine years, our first team's just got better and better as we've progressed through the leagues and as we've come back up into the Premier League. And especially over the last year to 18 months since Stephen Gerrard's been in and his team have been in, that, you know, the, the calibre of players that we have in, in the first team is really, really strong, really, really high. So these young players need to be able to get into that first team and, and be better than those that are around them. So it's, it's a real a real opportunity for the players there to, to progress to the first team. But hopefully that gives you a little bit of an idea of the structure um, that we've got at the football club. Yeah, thanks, Ian. Uh, have you seen a bit any change in the club since Steven Gerrard came on board in terms of standards being set? What kind of influence will he have, uh, even though he's a first-time coach, on the academy? Yeah, I think certainly for someone like him who broke into Liverpool's team as a 17-, 18-year-old young player, you know, I remember reading parts of his book and, you know, he spoke about there was five central midfield players in the squad. Back then, they only played with two on the pitch every weekend. So that competition for him, he was having to, at 18 years old, he was having to be better than international football players for England and for other countries around the world. So the one thing that he's certainly um, passed to a lot of our young players is he knows what it's like to be there. You know, he knows what it's like to make that transition from being a, an academy player, from being a youth player, into the first team. So I think in terms of um, standards that, that were set, I think the club and, and the academy in particular, we've always had really, really strong standards and really, really high expectations of what it takes to be a football player at Rangers, what it takes to be uh, a coach at Rangers. So I think our standards have, have always been really, really high. Um, but I think Stephen Gerrard has taken that you know, a stage further. Um, he's certainly brought in a, a real high calibre of, of players in the first team and I think that's you know, really boosted the confidence of, of everybody around the football club. You know, we've been far more successful um, than we have over the last couple of years in terms of on the pitch and the style of play that we've got. And I think, you know, the, the club is going in the right direction. But in terms of since Stephen Gerrard's come in, I think the biggest thing he's brought is that experience and that knowledge of he's been there, he's done it as an academy player, he's established himself in, in a really strong first-team squad at Liverpool as a young teenager. So... That's probably the biggest thing I think that he's brought to the football club is, is that real experience of, you know, he's done it, he's been there. Yeah, he's also talked a lot about the responsibility of playing in front of, front of uh, so many fans. Obviously, every yeah. week you have 50,000 fans, so not every player has a mentality to be able to do that, correct? I mean, so he's yeah. put a lot, a lot of the responsibilities of being a Rangers player. I'm probably seeing Liverpool as well, where obviously they had high standards, they won the league so many times, and I think he spoke openly about the pressure was under him as a young player to come through that system. And represent that club, so that's that's part of it as well, isn't it? Regarding the mental part of things, definitely, it's absolutely huge. I think you know a lot of Rangers players and um, have built a career on them having the right mentality to be 
I've got a player at this football club. I think that the expectation to, to go out and win every single game, I, I don't think you get that at very many other clubs. Um, you know, that, that expectation that if you go out every Saturday, every Sunday when you're playing a game, you have to win. And, and it takes a lot. That, that's a real strong, tough mentality to come from. And I think in, in Scotland, particularly in the west of Scotland, we're often, as, as a fan base in football, quite negative. So we always pick up on um, the poor performances. We always pick up on, you know, you can almost hear when a player makes a bad pass, 50,000 fans go, ah, you know, how do you deal with that? If, if you're a young player, a young teenager playing in front of 50,000 fans, how, how do you deal with that? It, it's huge. Yeah. So for us in the academy, we've got to prepare players for that. We've got to prepare players not just to be good enough in terms of their football ability to play, but are they are they mentally tough enough to you know to be able to play in front of fifty thousand fans every single week and a fan base that demands a level of expectation. I think when you look at the history of the football club, you look at players like Brian Loudrup, you look at Paul Gascoigne, you look at the caliber of players that we've had, Alan McCoyce, you know, double European golden boot winner, you think to yourself, these guys were unbelievable football players and that is that is the expectation of player at this football club. You know, you have to be not just good enough to play in Scotland, but you have to be good enough to play in European competition. You know, 2008, we got to the European Cup final and, and previous to that, in 1972, we won the European Cup Winners' Cup. And, you know, throughout our history, there's always been a success in European competitions and, and players need to be good enough for that and be able to handle that level of pressure. So, yeah, it's huge. It's massive, massive. And, and all these groups, Ian, even though obviously kids coming in potentially at U11 and signing for the club, it's very fluid, these groups, aren't they? I mean, like you mentioned before, some some kids maybe bumping some more kids out U12, U13, U14. So there's lots of fluidity regarding that yeah. development pathway, isn't there? Yeah, I think it's something that certainly that, you know, when I first came into the academy, Alan Boyd, who's, who's our head of Children's Academy, he's been at the club for about 17 years now and he's worked at all different age groups. U18s, U17s, all the way down to the young kids now. And one thing that he said to me was, we need to treat every single player like an individual. You have to develop the individual person. You have to develop the individual player. They're all their own project. You know, we have to treat them all like their own individual project. You know, no development pathway will be the same for the player next to them or the player behind them or the player in front of them. It will be different and, and unique for, for each and every individual player. So, yeah. There, there is a lot of fluidity in the squad, and certainly, as I said, when, when the players get older, there's a lot more competition in terms of international players. But yeah, there's a lot of, of, of fluidity there, and I think that that just shows the, the level of, of player that, you know, that, we, that we have at the football club that there's this constantly ongoing competition. Perfect, good. And then do you want? I might speak a little bit more about the four corners in terms of development. Yeah. Yeah. So our um, our curriculum is um, is based on four pillars of development. And the game, the ball, the body, and the mind. So, this is our um, this cycle that I'm about to show you here. This is what our curriculum is based on, and it's based on the four moments of the game. So, I think it's it's quite obvious we're all involved in football. We know you know we know what the four moments of the game are. You're in possession, you've got the ball, and you're transitioning to defend. So that moment that you lose it, um, and then you go from obviously not having the ball to being out of possession. So that moment of when you're defending, when you actually don't have possession of the ball, and then obviously that transition attack so when you regain possession what do you do with it so that is what our um our academy curriculum is based upon is these four moments of the game and then it, it's totally underpinned by as i said the four pillars of development so the game the ball the body and the mind so the game is is being able to make good decisions so that's your understanding of the game in certain situations what decisions do you make within each of these four moments the ball 
which is obviously your, your technical ability, you know, so what do you do when you're on the ball, uh, when you've got it at your feet, you know, can you run with it, can you dribble, can you pass, what, you know, that's, that's really, really important to us at the football club, your body, so your physical attributes, and then of course, um, your mind, so your mentality, obviously being at the football club, um, is, is really, really important. That's, that's certainly something that, that we touched on. So that's that's really what our, our curriculum is, is based upon. It's these four moments of the game and, it, and it's totally underpinned by, by the four pillars of development. So to probably put that into a little bit of perspective for you, um, this is, for example, is, is what our, our curriculum looks like. So you've got at the top um, the moment, so in possession, out of possession. You've then got your objective. Um, so what I'm going to do for this example is I'm just going to touch um, and, and, and discuss here this, this blue section so talking about in possession and then I'll tell you the reason why in a little second why it's obviously side by side with the um, with the red section out of possession so when we look at um, our, our curriculum obviously as I said the moment is, is in possession the objective is, is finishing the attack so when we're in possession we obviously want to finish the attack and we want to end up with a goal so the topic is then how we do that so is it quick and direct play so is it a longer pass is it more direct is it somebody running with the ball over maybe 20 or 30 yards to, to take space, or is it combination play? So is it players linking up with each other on the pitch? And then the themes. So the themes are what we coach as, uh, well, what we coach on the pitch with the players uh, is the themes. And then down at the very, very bottom is, is our constant considerations. So our ball, our game, our body and our mind. So everything that we coach throughout the themes, we've got to link it back to these four pillars um, of development. So the reason why they're side by side um, if, I, if I give you the example of what we do on the pitch, so for older players within the academy, we, we would have two coaches for every squad and one coach would be what we call the lead coach for that session. So they would be delivering the, the session, they would be the lead coach, they'd be designing the practices, they'd be leading all the practices and they would be focusing on, for example, in possession and to finish the attack. So that is what the theme of, or sorry, that is what the objective of the session would be. If, for example, I was working with yourself, Ian, we have what we call a ghost coach. So that partner that you have is actually working on the counter theme. So if I was the main coach for, for the session and I'm working on that objective of finishing the attack, you would be going around and talking to the players about the defending aspect of it. You know, and, and I think that's really good at the football club that we've got that dynamic because you often see that coaches, you know, you've got one coach that will stop the session and go in and then the next coach will go in and it sometimes can be a bit mixed messages and it can be a bit messy. So that dynamic that we have that one coach is leading the session and one coach is the ghost coach. And that ghost coach is going round and talking to the players about the counter team. And effectively, what it does is it makes sure that every player within the session is getting the best possible um, outcomes that they can. It's making sure that when, when we're working on finishing the attack, the focus can always be on how we score, how we score goals, how we finish the attack. But what about the players that are defending? You know, the players have got to be able to defend. So... You can't neglect that in a session. So by having the goal scope, it gives us the opportunity to work on the counter theme, as I said, to work on that, that opposite part of the, um, of, of obviously the objective, which is there. So that, that runs, as I said, through all four moments of the game. Um, but hopefully that gives you a little bit of an example of what our academy curriculum looks like. However, at, at each phase, it is slightly different. And, and what I mean by that is, our senior academy players that are under 15 up to a development squad, they will work on the full curriculum, if you will. So they'll be looking at the moment, the objective, they'll be looking at the topics and the themes, and they'll be going out in real depth um, in terms of their development, in terms of their knowledge. For our intermediate phase, 
their focus is less on the moment of the game, less on the objective, but more on the topic. You know, so they focus more on that topic and have the link to the objective. But again, they, they more focus on the topic. And then when we come into the children's academy, the children's academy focuses more on the theme. So we don't really need to worry about the moment of the game. We don't really need to worry about the objective or the topic. But we focus more on the themes. You know, so how do we then link that? obviously the topics and the objectives as we go further up the academy so we're effectively giving the players the building blocks to then progress through the academy and develop that curriculum and develop their understanding and their knowledge of, of the game a little bit further so i know I'm, I'm going on a little bit here and, and i want to try and give you guys as much um, of an insight into what we do at the curriculum i think we could we could discuss this for hours in real depth and in real detail and it's taken a lot of time for us to come up with a curriculum and certainly somebody from the club like myself who lives and breathes this almost every single day, it can be easy for, for me to talk about it. And I think at times guys can get lost. So what I want to do is I'm looking at the sort of age groups that we've got of, of players on the call just now. And, and hopefully this puts it into a little bit more of, of a perspective for, for them and, and what we would teach them within a session. So if you if you look at what I'm about to show next, um, is, is this slide here. So as I said, for us at the younger age groups, um, it's less about concepts. It's less about the themes and the topics within the sessions because at the end of the day, our players are, are seven, eight, nine years old. You know, they're very young. They're maybe just getting that initial introduction to to the academy and, and effectively to the game of football. So for us and, and for myself in that pre-academy, so you're sort of eight to nine, my focus is on the ball, the game, the body and the mind. That's all I need to think about in my session when I'm delivering it to the young players. And, and what my, um, what I'm constantly referring back to and what I'm effectively coaching these players is what you see on the right hand side here is the behaviours and the core learning objectives. So the behaviours, for example, in the ball, do they have creativity and imagination in certain situations? How do they outplay their opponent? How do they get out of certain situations? Do they pass? Do they dribble? Have they got a move? Have they got a change of direction? Can they receive and release the ball on the opposite side? So do they receive it on their back foot? Do they receive it on their front foot? all their receiving skills, basic receiving skills, scanning as a habit. So certainly something um, for us in the Children's Academy, um, the, the, everything we do is, is underpinned by being, by scanning and by being relentless. You know, so scanning is a huge behaviour in football. You know, you look at some of the top players in the world, there was something I read recently about Iniesta when he was at Barcelona, and some games he would scan over 800 times. I think that's, that's unbelievable. It's yeah. just absolutely incredible. And every second, every millisecond that he scans, the picture on the on the pitch completely changes. So he's got to be able to take in as much information as he can. So everything that we do, every practice, every session, every drill that we do, the two things that will always run through it will be scanning and being relentless. And what I mean by being relentless is having that, that desire to be the best, you know, being the best in yourself. I love the way... Um, Michael Beale, our first team coach, talks about it. He says, you versus yourself. You have to be better than yourself yesterday. You don't need to worry about the person next to you. You just need to be better than you were yesterday. So this is what we do within the, the younger um, kids in the academy. So again, it's more a focus on behaviours. And then as we, as we get older, so the U10s, the U12s, that's when they start, to, as you can see here, in blue, there's more behaviours that we begin to focus on. So again, we're layering up that development for them. And then they're having a bit more of a focus on the teams, so linking those behaviours um, to the teams. So hopefully, it's a little bit of a whistle-stop tour. I appreciate it's been <laughs> quite quick, but hopefully that sort of gives you an idea of our overall academy 
uh, curriculum, how we look at it sort of top down and then what it looks like certainly at those younger age groups, as I said, the focus being primarily on the behaviour and, and the core learning objective. Thanks Ian, that's great. Um, I have actually sent out the, the link to the YouTube video of Stephen Gerrard talking about being obsessed. So that's one of the things Perfect. that you guys have come came across. I think, that's, I think that's what uh, you've talked about regarding being relentless. Uh, yeah. Second of all, we talk about scanning a lot at our academy and I had actually on a call this week with some players individually. They were saying they want to improve your speed. And I said, well, one of the ways to improve your speed if you're scanning on the game, you're one step ahead of everybody else, aren't you? You're fast, yeah. you're fast right off the bat. So before the ball arrives to your feet, you know exactly what you're doing with it. And obviously naturally you'd be in the game much faster than everybody else be doing that. So good stuff. Definitely. It's that. something we've done a lot, a lot of work on in, in, in the academy is scanning. And um, I think that's, it's huge. As you said, if you scan, you, you almost know what you're going to do before you receive the ball. And mm. um, once Very you important. scan, it's obviously your decision making. It's how you take in that information. But yeah, scanning, huge. Really, really stuff. Um, something actually our, our players struggle with a little bit in is uh, always because we're 3,000 miles away from uh, Europe and uh, a real soccer culture. Uh, obviously, we, we have the, um, uh, the challenge, I guess, of not having our players seeing live games a lot. So yep. sometimes I can challenge them in terms of not understanding the game quite as bit, quite as well as some players in Europe who are living and breathing it day in, day out. Do you have any tips for any of our players over here in terms of how to improve their game understanding, their tactical knowledge, things like that? I think the biggest thing is what you've touched on there. I think it's watching watching games of, of football, you know, and I think we say it to our, our players all the time in the academy, go and watch, watch football, you know, but pick a player that, that you like, you know, so if you're watching Man City, pick somebody like De Bruyne, Raheem Sterling. If you're watching Liverpool, Firmino, Andy Robertson, Trent Alexander-Arnold, pick a player that you like and watch them throughout the game. What do they do? Things like scanning, you know, how many times do they scan? Can you see them scanning? What good behaviours, what good traits have they got within the game? You know, when they're put in tough situations, how do they come out of that? How do they problem solve? Look at their movement. So I think that's huge. It's exactly what you touched on there. It's watching football and, and picking a player that you like, because you're obviously going to enjoy watching the game of football if, if you like the players that are on the screen, and, and having a real thought process as to why you're watching the game. Try and pick up as many, as many things as you can. I think players, young players now, they love to play FIFA. They can tell you everything about a football player. They can tell you all their stats, all the information about them. Watch them do it for real. Watch them do it in the game. You know, a player on FIFA has speed of 99. He has a physicality trait of whatever it is. He has a passing ability of 89. He has that for a reason, because he does it in real life. So right. go and watch him do it in real life. <laughs> go and watch him do it in a game. Don't play it on FIFA. Watch him do it in real life. I think that's the most important thing in the world. I, I, I talk to my kids about it all the time. You know, they talk about playing FIFA and, oh, with this player and that player and this team and that team. Just go and watch them do it in real life. Yeah. You know, watch them do it for real. There's a reason why you've got that rating. There's a reason why you've got that ability. Not for you to press X and triangle <laughs> and square in a game. It's because he does it week in, week out on a pitch. Yeah. You know, against some of the, the best players in the world. So, definitely, that that's the biggest thing for me. Watch football. You know, watch it because you love it. I think as well that, you know, YouTube is... One of the best things in the world, I think, for, for yeah. football players, you can almost find videos on anything. So watch highlight videos of, of your favourite player, you know, and you see things all the time. People love analysing football. Go and watch highlight videos of, of your favourite player. It's the easiest thing to do, and you just pick, you pick things up, and then when you pick it up, try and take it into your game, try and emulate it in, in what you do on the pitch. Especially right now, you got lots of time to focus individually on your on your um, yeah. your game, right? So on how to improve individually. Definitely. I'm telling my kids. This is actually an opportunity. I go, I'm 55, never in my life before I've had a chance for two months to sort of sit back and go, 
how I can improve myself, right? So it's very, embrace it, take as an opportunity, come out of this thing better than you were going in. Definitely. No, it's it's, it's a fantastic opportunity. Absolutely fantastic opportunity. So take it, definitely. Perfect. Good stuff. Um, Do you want to speak a little bit, Ian, about a typical week in your academy? Maybe the um, schedule, things like that? Yeah, so um, within our academy, obviously, as I said, we've got different phases. So what a typical week looks like for each of those phases is, is quite different. Our under eights and under nines will train uh, two nights a week for a game at a weekend. Our tens, elevens, and twelves will train three nights a week for a game at a weekend. Um, at U twelves, this started to be introduced to what we call day release, so they'll get out of school for a period of time and, and we'll be able to train. So what I wanted to do was give you a, an actual example because I think it brings it a little bit more to life as to um, what a, a, a typical week looks like. So this is just an example I took from our our U fourteen. Um, sorry, I'm just going to take my picture off my screen so I can see it. So this is what our U14s would go through um, on a week. So you can see that their game day is a Sunday. Um, something that I think is excellent, which is what we do over here in Scotland, is that the all the even squads, so your 12s, 14s, 16s, uh, sorry, 12s, 14s, 16s, will play on a Sunday. And all your odds, your 11s, your 13s, your 15s, will play on a Saturday. And that just allows a bit of player movement so players can play up. But just as equally and just as importantly, players can play down an age group as well. Um, so it means that they're played on different days. So it gives players the opportunity to do both. They might play up an age group on the Saturday and then they might play with their own age group on the Sunday and, and game time will obviously be managed. So you can see here, this is this is the schedule for the week. Um, the little bit that says MD plus and minus is just match day. So for example, Monday is match day plus one. It's one day after the match and then it's six days until the next game, so it's match day minus six. We work uh, in a periodised plan, so it's obviously regenerate as, as obviously our recovery, our acquisition is where we do um, the majority of our learning, and then your regeneration is obviously when you get prepared for, for that game at the weekend. The bit that's highlighted in blue um, is how we break up our week. So we have Rangers player days, Rangers team days, um, and then we have obviously our match preparation days. So I wanted to go into a little bit more detail um, just on that. So a Rangers player day will come at the beginning of the week. Uh, the reason for that is it's a lot more intensive. So a player day will be an intensive session, much smaller in numbers, so nothing more than really a 4v4 or a 5v5. Small spaces, small areas. So the pitches will be smaller, so the guys will play maybe small-sided games at the end rather than a bigger game. It'll be shorter durations. It'll be more high-intensity and shorter distance running, and that is what our our player day looks like. A Rangers team day um, is a bit more of an extensive session, so larger numbers, so 66 right up to obviously 11v11. The majority of the stuff we do is is 8v8, 9v9, so you can effectively teach all the principles of the game within within 8 8 and 9 9 It's bigger spaces, bigger durations. So if we play matches at the end, or maybe the segments that they're broken into are maybe longer. So on a Rangers player day, it might be three or four minute games, whereas for an extensive day, it could be matches that are maybe eight to ten minutes, slightly, slightly longer. So that's how we break up um, our week between a, a Rangers player day and, and a Rangers team day. And then we've obviously got our, um, our match preparation sessions, which are effectively what it says um, on the pin. Something that you see here on, on this schedule is, uh, is our Beclair group. So our Beclair program is a, is a Rangers-specific elite school. So these players will get increased contact time with our coaches. 
So they go to a school, Buclair Academy, which is literally a few minutes from uh, from uh, our training ground. And those players will get an increased number of contact hours with our coaches. So their football is, is incorporated into their education. At the football club, we see that the education is not a fallback. It's not something that our players should think, oh, well, if I don't make it as a player, then I can fall back on that. Or oh, I've got my education behind me. I can go and do this. I can go and do that. We've got to make sure that, that football and education run parallel. parallel. They've got equal importance. They run side by side. So this, this player program within the player academy helps us have more contact time with the players, helps us work more in depth with the players and provides just a real good opportunity for us, as I said, to have, to have more contact time um, with these young players. So at the beginning of the week, it will be analysis that the players will do. And then as they go out, go through um, through the week, There'll be more training sessions, so you can see Tuesday and Wednesday is where they have um, the training sessions, one in the morning, half eight to half nine before school, and then one 4.30 to 5.45 um, after school. The other program that we have is a player performance program. Um, so this is where the full squad will actually be invited uh, to train. You can see the time, 1.45 to 5.50 p.m. It's obviously during school. So most of our players within the squad will make that. Unfortunately, some can't, just given uh, travel and, and obviously school and the distance that they maybe stay from, from the training centre and work commitments from, from parents and things like that. Our Beclair programme is, is for a small number of players within each squad, so roughly about eight to ten players from each squad from our U13s to our U15s will be involved in the Beclair Academy programme. And our player performance programme, which takes place on a, on a Thursday, um, will be for the full squad, so we'll try and get as many of the players in as we possibly can. And again, the schedule that you can see there—it's two pitch sessions. They've got a strength, uh, a strength session. It's it's just giving them that that flavour of being a full-time athlete, you know, being a full-time football player. What it's like to have maybe more than one session a day to incorporate everything that, that being a full-time player has. The little bit that runs from 3:30 to 3:45 is, is an IPT review. So an IPT is an individual player target. So as I said, we need to develop each and every single player as an individual. They've all got individual strengths, but they've also got individual areas for development. So our IPTs is an area for development. So it's an area that the players can improve on, um, and it's something that the players will look at and they'll do within the session. So that's another role of our ghost coach that I touched on earlier. Our ghost coach would focus on the individual player target throughout the session. But then also our players will have the opportunity to have sessions primarily time dedicated to do their IPT work. So it could be in small groups. So you might have maybe four or five players from a couple of different age groups that will train together. You've got the same IPT or they might go off and train individually. Again, it's still led by a coach. It's still facilitated by a coach. But again, there's a little bit more of an onus on the players um, to take ownership of that, that IPT in their own time when they get that opportunity to practice. And then the match prep session is when the, the full squad will train together, and that is on a Friday night um, at our usual training time of 6 to 8. The, the evening sessions on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, that's for uh, our, our dual age groups, so our 14s and 15s will train together, and that's for the players that are not involved in that in that Beclair program um, that I spoke to you about there. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of an idea as to as to what a typical week looks like for, for our players. You can see that there's a lot of planning, a lot of preparation that goes into this. So our coaches that work with our under-13s uh, up are all full-time. Uh, so it means that they get time to plan these sessions, they get time to plan their week, and it means that the players get the best possible session um, that they possibly can. So 
hopefully that gives you a little bit of a flavour of what a, a typical week looks like um, for an under-14 player at the academy. That's great, and thank you very much. Um, just in the interest of time, maybe we skip along to maybe some case studies, some players um, yep. we can kind of look to and sort of give you guys an idea of, you know, players from Canada maybe going across the Rangers, uh, obviously more particular to their situation, right? And kind of go from there. Yeah, definitely. I think probably the, be- the best one to talk about is, is Cami Palmer. Um, so I've got a little picture of, of, of Cami here. He's on the left-hand side there. Um, and Cami was, was a young player who actually moved over to Canada at quite a young age. Uh, his father's a pastor uh, and his dad found work over in Canada. And when he was about 11 years old, he joined a club that was actually ran by a former player of, of Rangers, um, a coach named Andy Kennedy. So Andy spotted Cami at about 11 years old when he was playing for this club and he saw talent, you know, he saw something different in Cami. He saw that he was, he was a very exciting young player. I think the biggest thing for, for Cami is, is something that's important to every player. And um, But Cami had it in abundance with his mentality. You know, he was a sponge. He always wanted to learn. He always wanted to get better. His attitude and his application to every session um, was absolutely top drawer. So Andy, obviously, having that connection, uh, having played at the football club, put him in touch with, uh, with us. And when he was 12, he actually came over on trial um, and we were able to sign him. And, and he's been at the football club ever since. Given the fact that he's got um, the passport and he's got the eligibility to, to be over here in the UK and with his father's job, he, he was able to move um, over to Scotland and play um, at the football club. So Cammy was certainly one that, that as I said, he had that, that connection. He was fortunate enough to join a club that was that was ran by um, a former player at, at the football club. And Cammy's a really exciting project that we've got. Um, a really exciting young player. He's yet to make his, uh, his debut for the first team. Uh, he's played in a couple of first team uh, matches, but he's not played in any competitive games yet. And uh, he's actually currently on loan with our partner club, Orange County, the USL team in, in California. He's, he's previously been out on loan uh, to Partick Thistle, which is a team that's playing in the championship, uh, the tier below the, the Premier League here in Scotland. And he's certainly one that we're hoping um, does push into to Steven Gerrard's first team. And um, he is the captain of our of our reserve of our development squad so he's certainly a really exciting um, young player that we've got at the football club so he's a perfect case study um, he's a young player who, who had the opportunity to certainly travel across um, here just because of his, obviously his eligibility and he's certainly one that, that we're really excited about but certainly something obviously Ian, that, that we've that we've spoke about at great length obviously when I was over visiting you in January and prior to this call is the pathway for, for players coming from North America and I think We've had a lot of, of, of high-quality North American players um, over at Rangers. And the next slide I've got is, is a couple of those players. So you might see a couple of faces that you recognise. The guy at the top, Carlos Bocanegra, uh, fantastic football player, captain the club for a short period of time uh, when he was here as well. He was a centre-back. Um, but his, his pathway in football was uh, soccer. He went to college in uh, UCLA. He left UCLA, joined Chicago Fire. Uh, he was also involved in the uh, Adidas program. I think it was called MLS Go 40 at one point in time. He was involved in that as well, um, which was I think, a joint venture in order to, to develop North American players. So he played in the MLS, played for Chicago Fire, and then that was when he made his, uh, his trip over uh, into European football. Uh, played with Fulham, played Etienne in France, then uh, uh, Rennes as well in France, and then he came to the Rangers. Player below that, Demarcus Beasley. Uh, and then the player at the very bottom is Matt Polster, who's a current um, player at the football club just now. But I think what, what you see with those players is they've all got something in common. They went to college, they went to um, play in the MLS, and then they made their trip over 
to play in, in European football as well. Morris Edu, uh, I've not got a picture of him on the screen, but Morris Edu is another player um, that was at the football club. He went to, to University in Maryland and then he was playing at Toronto FC before he came to Rangers and then went down after the left Rangers, played at Stoke, played the Premier League. And again, you know, these guys have all got the same thing in common that they played at college, they played in the MLS and then they came over uh, and played in European football. And I think when I've had experience talking to a lot of to a lot of young players, you know, it's easy now with, with Instagram and social media to see these young players that are getting picked up by Ajax Academy, by Manchester City Academy, getting picked up by big academies and, and you know, they're getting flown across every few months and, you know, they're part of these big academies. But I think there's a pathway for everybody. You know, I don't think there's a there's a hastiness to try and get across into Europe as early as we possibly can. You know, there's still that route. You see, you know, DeMarcus Pizzi, one of the highest capped US players of all time. He played at college, he played in the MLS and then he came over into Europe. So I don't think there should be that hastiness to try and come into European football. I think it's important that these guys, you know, they, they, they take their time, they, they learn their trade, they play in the MLS and then when the time's right, you know, they, they maybe come over into European football. You look at um, Matt Polster, he made that, that trip over uh, to us, you know, quite early. He's, he's a young guy, he's, he's obviously played in the MLS, played at college as well. And he's another one that we're hoping um, comes good. Unfortunately, he plays in the same position as our club captain, so he's finding it particularly difficult to break into the team. But yeah, I think that the pathway for each and every individual player is different. As I've said all along, you look at Cammy Palmer, he had the eligibility to come over into Scotland and play. Um, but these guys have, have had a slightly different pathway. So yeah, every, every pathway for, for each player is, is different. Um, and I think if you want it and you want to play in European football and you want to play in the Champions League and you want to play in some of the biggest competitions in world football, then there's absolutely no reason why you can't make that, that trip and you can't make that journey and your journey can't take you into European football. So, yeah, but as I said, you see that all the guys have, have done it. You know, they've got that same sort of route, college, NLS, and then, and then over, over to us. Great stuff, Ian. Uh, really, really uh, fantastic stuff. I give our players a little bit of an outline regarding Rangers and uh, all about the academy. Great, great uh, valuable information for our young players. What I'll do now, Ian, I'll just kick back the host uh, rights here. I'll open up the yeah, of course. 